All right, welcome to Allie, Cat, and Steve. I'm Allie. I'm Cat. Steve is nowhere to be found yet again. About to put up some missing person posters. We're going to call the cops. Absolutely. But before we do that, today we're talking to Liz Longley. She is a tenacious Nashville-based singer-songwriter. She recently broke records with her Kickstarter campaign that she started to buy her masters back from a record label. But before we bring Liz on, we want to tell you that today is special because it's our pumpkin spice latte edition. Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice. But we made our own pumpkin spice. Don't worry. Exactly. It's organic. It's local. Allie made it. I made it. And as any good millennial does, we try to keep all things local, which is why we are proud to have Tectonic Coffee on this episode. They pride themselves on being a sustainable company by having direct relationships with their growers and a roasting facility in Los Angeles. As a listener of Alley Cat and Steve, when you subscribe to Tectonic Coffee, you'll get your first shipment free with the code HelloTectonic. For more info, visit us on Instagram at Alley Cat and Steve. <laughs> How's it going, Liz? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing good. Hello. We're over here drinking pumpkin spice lattes. Allie made delicious. her own pumpkin spice. I did. How? Just um, Pinterest <laughs> and the grace of God. <laughs> Pinterest. That's amazing. Yeah. 75% God, 25% Pinterest. Pinterest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> good team right there. <laughs> it's the only team I'd want today. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what's what's going on over in Nashville? How's the weather? It is a disgustingly rainy, cold day. It's the coldest day we've had in a long time. So just trying to get wow. used to it. I was just on the West Coast, so I had this weird. I started in Seattle and ended in Arizona. So I feel oh like gosh. I went through every season. Yeah, I had to pack for it literally every season. <laughs> That's kind of amazing, but yeah. kind of overwhelming. Yeah, and then I got also... home and I was just still confused. <laughs> Did you get sick or anything? No, thankfully. I have a pretty hardcore vitamin regimen, so it kept Whoa. me good this time. Yeah. That sounds pretty great. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not that interesting. I just, last year, or maybe it was even the beginning of this year, it was both. I got sick really bad, um, like four times, where I got so sick that I lost my voice, which had never really happened to me quite like that before. And oh, no. it turns out when you're getting sick that often, uh, it's not good for your music career. <laughs> And, um, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a sign of a lot of bigger issues. So I went to a really amazing doctor who just like, was like, you're not absorbing any nutrients. So you need to like up, up your vitamins in a huge way. And it, I haven't gotten sick once since I started taking all these vitamins. So are you like that, the lady with like the multiple bags of vitamins now? Yes. Yes. It's embarrassing. That's awesome. <laughs> Do they look at you funny at TSA? No, actually, I stopped putting them in my carry-on because I get stopped every single time. So I'm like, I can't deal. Wait, would you like to share with our fans what exactly those vitamins are? Um, I mean, I don't even know how to pronounce half of them, to be honest. Um, oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah, they're like basically – if. Some like if your gut flora is off, not to get like super into it, but um, no, it's cool. We like science, girl. Okay, if your gut flora is off, it like can can really affect your adrenals and like your um, ability to fight off infections. So I was just having got it. Yeah, so they're all like weirdly enough for mostly for digestion, um, and like I take mm-hmm. fiber like in my probiotics. water every day. Yeah, like probiotics and like glu- glucurate. I don't even know what that is, and then like normal stuff like. <laughs> magnesium and C and D and all those fun things but and B I was vegan for a while like a year and a half oh and I had to stop being vegan for a little bit because I was just it wasn't working unfortunately 
Wow. Are you back to being vegan now? No, because I feel so much better now, but I'm really picky about the meat that I eat. I'm still a little bit weirded out by it. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Especially probably being in the South. For it's sure. It's like a little bit hard to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lots of barbecue. I just like didn't go out to eat for like a year and a half. It was weird. Wow. That is weird. That's... That's I can't really fathom that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not good for my dating life. <laughs> oh no, like, no. Yeah, I can't really go out. So <laughs> come over, we can have vitamins. Yeah. Come vitamins and alcohol. <laughs> wow, that would be a wild Tinder proposal. <laughs> you message someone and be like, "Hey, babe." Yeah, never say you're busy? vegan on Tinder. It doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. <laughs> That's super funny. <laughs> so I guess you're liking being in Nashville, though. You've been there for seems like what forever, right? Yeah, like eight years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How did how did you like end up getting to Nashville and like like how did yeah like in life like what was your trajectory that led you to Nashville? Well, what's weird is that well when I went to Berkeley and there was the whole Nashville trip uh, for spring break, I went twice and both times. I had this perception that Nashville was just for country artists. And I remember saying very confidently that it would never be the place for me. Um, I just didn't want to turn into a country artist. It's not what I saw for myself. And so I moved to New York City after I graduated and toured out of there. Because that's my thing that I love to do the most is tour. Um, And so I would tour out of New York City. And then I was paying so much in parking tickets that... It just realized it didn't make sense. I was like, I'm paying like twice what I would normally pay in Nashville just to live somewhere. Um, anyway, so I moved to Nashville and it was clearly not just a, a place for country musicians. There's a wide variety. There's Everybody does everything here and it's a, an amazing music community. So I'm glad that I did. It's been a great place to make records and a great place to recharge between tours. Um, although my heart will always be in the Northeast where I grew up. Sure. And where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a little town called Downingtown. I know where Downingtown is. You do? I lived in Philadelphia for two years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I, <laughs> I don't know where Downingtown it's, is. That's okay. <laughs> You're not exactly the Berkeley way. Right. But I kind of just ended up there after New York. Wow, that's so interesting. What did you do? Um, I was singing in a punk band, so it made complete sense. Oh my gosh, so <laughs> fun. There's actually a really great music scene in Philly. I, I felt, at least when I lived in Downingtown, I would always go into the city to play shows and always loved it. Yeah, no, there is. I think it got voted one of the number one music scenes in the country. See? Actually. That's yeah, so I mean, cool. Yeah, it was on a like a top ten list. Because there is, like, people can afford to live there, artists. Yes, yeah. Um, so it breeds a lot of really cool music. And also, art. like, the University of the Arts is there, and mm-hmm. a lot of really cool people go there. I feel yeah, like Amos Lee went there or something. I could be wrong, but... Some cool people come out of Philadelphia. Yeah. Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. <laughs> yeah, I remember they went and pay- played in Center City for some sort of, like, free concert, and, like... All of Philadelphia shut down because all oh. notes was playing. That seems right. <laughs> it was correct. It was big deal. So you moved from Downingtown straight to Boston? I did, yeah. It was the only school I applied to and uh, and I was like, if I don't get in, I just want to tour because I was playing so much as a teenager. I was playing every weekend and I just thought that you know, that's all I needed to do was keep doing that. But I'm so glad I get into Berkeley because what I really needed to learn was how to write a song. And, um, Mm. and I feel like I got so much out of their songwriting program. And honestly, it's one of those things where you can never learn enough. Like as soon as I graduated, I was like, no, I'm not done. I want to learn more, (laughs) you know, like I don't want this to be where I stop growing. So totally. Yeah. It was a good time. Well, do you still feel like you're growing? I do. I think I had a really big growth spurt last year. I kind of um, slowed down from touring, which was really hard for me to do because I associate being on the go with being productive. And it's hard for me to Mm -hmm. like mentally get around the fact that you can be productive 
while staying in one place because I'm always on sure. the go. Um, but I did. I really pulled back on touring because it had. I was well after my album cycle, and I just decided to try to write pop songs for pop artists, and it really pushed me. I wrote over a hundred songs, and in Whoa. yeah, and in doing that, it it like it really informed in a strange way my own writing and gave me permission to kind of um, push the boundaries in my own writing because I felt like in the pop writing there was more of a formula and more of a structure, and I guess somehow it freed me up in my own stuff, and um, it was a very mutually beneficial songwriting relationship between the pop stuff and my own stuff. So it was a really cool phase. And I think that pop really pushes you to be able to write from a concept as well. For sure. Yeah. And I love that. But now you're back on the road. So clearly you couldn't live without it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also I'd written all these songs that I was ready to make a record with. And then I wanted to test them out. And then, yeah, I'm back to it. Um, I'm definitely, I definitely go in and out of like creative like that was a super super creative time, and then as soon as I've made like a record, I just want to take it out in the world. So, right, that's why I'm kind of testing the waters with new songs now, even though they're already recorded and I'm committed. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> always a fun feeling. Mm-hmm. So when you're in Nashville, like besides like writing, like do you do anything else? Like do you like have a job or like teach or like? No, along those lines. I do. Um, I'm lucky that it's all music based stuff. Um, but one thing that I do to pay the bills when I'm off the road is do like, well, I haven't done them in a couple months, but um, for about four years, every month I did an online concert on concertwindow.com, but they unfortunately just shut down in September. So, um, I yeah, I haven't found a replacement for it yet, but it was a really mm. great way to bond with listeners in a different way because there's a chat room and um they can tip for rewards that they wouldn't get otherwise so like just kind of random things that I'm able to put out just for them and it was just a really great really great run it was it kept me on my feet because doing a show every single month for the same people oh sorry an email just came through and pinged on my computer uh volume down now (laughs) but um it was just it tested me and and it forced me to learn a lot of new songs so I would do concepts and like um do you know a Joni Mitchell month or 70 songs Mm. month or February February we just did just love songs and had people do all requests and uh and then I did cool yeah and then for like six months I did every month would be a different record of mine through the year so it was was really fun um but I haven't found that replacement yet but that's kind of what I do when I'm home and, uh, yeah, I, I still write a lot when I'm home, too, and I just get to bond with my dog and do emails and catch up on all the stuff that I've neglected while on the road, you know? I completely understand that. I yeah. try to bond with my dog as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> the best. He's not in the room right now. No, he's not. He's, he got kicked out of the room. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> so were you doing these concerts while you were making this last record? Yes. Okay. So it allowed you a little bit of a way to see how these songs would land. Yes. yes. Preemptively. Yeah. And a lot of like some of them I would test out just at one show just to see, just triple check that I love it as much as I do. And, um, but there were some that were, I knew they were going to be staples. And so I've, I've had them out on the road for a little while now. Like the title track of the record I sing every night now. Um, even though the record's not out. Yeah. That's amazing. And how, like, how have you been building your fan base? Just like, was it, was it like mostly like people that followed you in like Philadelphia and then like gradually touring, you've like built up more or? So building a fan base has been a very gradual and organic thing. And it's really a culmination of a lot of different pieces. Um, So when I was young, I loved touring and I still do but it's always been that way and I think that was a big uh it's a really important piece because I think the best way to make a connection make a a real fan is face to face so um throughout college I did about 40 dates in the summer breaks and then I would try to do something at least two or three weekends each month while I was in school so I was just trying to play and just 
reach people. And then um, another big piece was that I submitted to a lot of songwriting competitions, even if they were like uh-huh. at a festival or whatever. And that was kind of a launching pad for me when I got out of college was to say, hey, you know, because they're like, who are you? Why would we have you at our venue? And it helped yeah. to have, mm-hmm. yeah, it helped to have some um, things that I could say I did. I won this award or, or whatever it was. So that was a big thing. But um, I think the game changer was getting my music on Sirius XM radio, the coffee house. I call it the sensitive singer songwriter channel. Um, (laughs) but they started playing my music and it just, I mean, there was no way I could otherwise have reached that many people at that time. And they played my music for years and, um, yeah, they still do sometimes, but, but I had, I had some songs in heavy rotation and people would just show up to shows because they, they heard that song. Um, but I've been lucky to tour and open for other people. That's a big, big part is like just trying to expand audiences by, you know, touring with people that you wouldn't otherwise have the chance to. Yeah. Um, and then like getting songs in TV shows, that's been really sure. helpful. Sure. And now the whole Spotify playlisting thing is mm-hmm. a big, yeah. is a big piece. But, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of things. <laughs> little press here and there it sounds like your initial launching pad was like those summer tours in college like how did you finance that as a college student or like how did you even plan it oh I was like the nerdiest (laughs) person my I remember my aunt lived in Boston and was so excited that her niece was gonna come up and go to college near her and like probably have parties in her apartment or whatever and I was like oh no 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 I'm like planning tours and <laughs> I like every minute of my life she still makes fun of me she's like you had every hour planned out I'm like god I've always been such a dork um but really truly I would just I book four five months in advance couldn't stand my calendar being empty would just reach out to every single venue and try to get on a show and I got lucky that one as, as support yeah as support as support. Um, I got lucky that one venue in New Hampshire after me just, you know, writing them several times, it was back in the days of (laughs) MySpace. Yes. Yeah. So I would send people my MySpace link. (laughs) Come on, I'm legit. (laughs) And, um, I remember he said, you know what? We always hear somebody before we book them, but we are in a pickle. We'd love to have you open a show here. And so I did it and it turned into a dozen other opportunities to open for people in that year and then amazing yeah and then right after that they're like you know what you can have your own headlining show here let's test it out and it sold out three months in advance of the show and that honestly yeah it was so cool it was like 300 people was the biggest audience that I had ever had just come for me I was still in college so to me that I was like freaking out and um that honestly was that I guess that um, concept of just let me play your venue, let me grow an audience in your room, and then let me be be a headliner. That that concept, I wished I was trying to carry it out throughout the country. Just go on tour and open, 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 and then switch to headliner. Um, and it's worked in Amazing. a lot of places, but it's slow. It doesn't happen overnight. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really amazing. It's- it's fun. Wow. I feel lucky. <laughs> taking that in. Yeah, I take that in as well. So were you playing at that time, were you playing most of these shows just by yourself with a guitar? Yes. Uh, with a band? Okay. Okay. Always opening just and me. So, That's why it was financially feasible because there there were no costs. You right. know? It was just were like, you like yeah. couch surfing? No, I lived – so I would just drive – from Boston. I would just drive oh, back yeah, to Boston every night. Sorry. Sorry. I mean like on the 40 date tours. Oh, that's a good question. Yes. I still do. I, to this day, I stay with as many people as possible because, because mm. touring is so expensive. Even when it's just me, I'm always looking for ways to save and I am not above crashing at everybody's house. <laughs> Plus it, I found, cause I did kind of the same thing that you make like invaluable contacts when you sleep on someone's sofa. It's so true. There's a bond. <laughs> There's a bond. You bond, <laughs> and it always it something happens later down the road, and like you'll never forget it. That's so true. You know, they'll never forget your bedhead, and you'll never forget their generosity. <laughs> exactly, and you'll go. They'll stay at your house too. Exactly. You know? I would hope so if I'm ever home. <laughs> that's a super good excuse yeah, yeah. sorry i'm not I'm there sorry, but 
there. I'm playing 40 dates in New Hampshire only. You can watch my dog, though. I need a dog sitter. Seriously. Do you bring your dog? No. Only sometimes. Oh. Only when it's oh, like no. I know who I'm staying with and they love dogs and if it works. There's this one series that I do annually in Alabama and it's it's actually a house concert it's the most ridiculous house concert of all time and it's beautiful it's like on the water the stage is built over the water and um, oh my god oh jeez yeah and Stella my dog loves it there and so she'll come sit on stage with me when I'm when I perform there it's the cutest thing and just look out at all the people and and pant in time with the music it's ridiculous she's so cute she like bark at you while you're playing. Too. Oh no, this, this she's like well trained. She sits there when I write, so she when she gets to see be part of the show, she's like, oh, this is where all the glory is. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Nacho doing this. My oh. dog is like he's a rescue. He's kind of crazy, but he's usually very quiet. Yeah, except if vocals are being recorded, and then he like will not shut up. Does he? He's is he singing husky. with you? Yeah. He's just like, you know, like forever. (laughs) Like, oh, bro, stop it. That's so cute. (laughs) It is pretty cute. (laughs) So now that you are sort you're you're using all these different platforms to build a fan base in addition to a rigorous touring schedule. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What do you find the most helpful? Obviously, a concert window, right? Yeah. One of the many, but. What are you finding now that's helping you the most with continuing to grow? And how are you managing all of these different resources? Gosh, that's a good question. I don't know. Are, are you speaking in terms of like social media platforms that are helping me to grow? Is that what you're referring to? Or just different ways of growing? Kind, kind of like all of it. Like you mentioned like SiriusXM mm-hmm. being yeah. important to you. Um, so you've got like all these different like relationships and like avenues of support, but like yeah. you obviously have to keep track of them and keep them all organized. Yeah, it's a lot of work, and um, sometimes I find it overwhelming. I'm not on it every single day. I just can't. I just can't function <laughs> in my life and be productive if I'm on it every single day. Um, yeah. So I try to be really intentional with it. Like I won't just like post something just to have something up. I can't do it. Um, right. like I like to ask questions and engage that way, but, um, but now that I've launched, I launched a Kickstarter last month and it was a huge success. And what's so cool is that anyone who backed it has access to project updates. And I've used that as a way to interact with my core, core fan base, the people that want to hear from me, want to hear about how things are going behind the scenes. And so that's been really yeah. cool to give the people that I know really care, uh, you know, a little peek at how things work leading up to an album release. So that's been fun to get creative with and make playlists for them and Mm, um, exclusive content, um, you know, special music videos that only they've seen so far. Um, And we'll probably have them like vote on the album cover because that's where we are in the process right now. Or at least show them the options, you know, just like include them in a way that because they've participated and they want to be part of the process. So I'm trying to invite them into it in any way possible. That's really cool. Yeah. What goes into figuring out what you're going to involve your audience in and what sort of perks they're going to get for being involved with you? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of thought because it can be it can be dangerous. Like we even the voting thing, we're like kind of talking about that right now as if well, what if they vote on one that you don't like? So maybe we just say, hey, we'd love to know which one you like. Like, what's your favorite? And not necessarily say, whichever one you pick, that will be it. Um, But I think it's fun to pull back the curtain. Um, Like, for example, I made a record a couple years ago uh, called Liz Longley because I couldn't think of anything else. Um, (laughs) And it was kickstarted. And uh, what was cool is it was kickstarted before we made it as opposed to this record it's already made. But we actually live-streamed the whole process of being in the studio, and uh, people were watching the entire studio process for a couple days and, like, taking off work. It was so funny that they were just like, I need to see how this works. Because you don't realize when you do it every day 
that it's unique to some people and foreign to them. They don't know how records are made. Um, totally. So I'm willing to to let people into it. We're, we filmed the whole making of this new record, and next week I go film an acoustic wow. ET, EP. And oh, cool. Yeah, why not show them how that works? Totally. I guess your Kickstarter um, album was not on a label. So this last one that is now uh, so, independent was your first label release actually no so sorry okay. my dog's barking um <laughs> stella <laughs> stella. Yeah. stella stella no barking please <laughs> so um i launched a kickstarter in 2012 to make a record the first one that i really wanted to make a great record in nashville and mm-hmm. kind of started to realize the cost of doing that making a record on music mm-hmm. row with musicians that you know that's what they do for a living like they are they've played mm-hmm. on records that your heroes are on you know so totally it added up so we launched a kickstarter and um that that record actually is what got me a record deal coincidentally got it so Mm. that record was on sugar hill records and then the one after which is called waitlist and then funeral from my past which is the new one was on the label and that's what i bought back from the label or will be buying back as soon as kickstarter pays me Nice. That's yeah. exciting. It's very exciting. And then that exciting. got you in Billboard. Yes. And Billboard is <laughs> so cool. Full circle. Yes. Billboard and also, which freaked me out, Grammy.com, like front page on the Whoa, Grammy News. What the heck? Yeah. That's amazing. That blew me away. So lots yeah, of really it... cool press. And it seems like people are kind of. I don't know. I think Kickstarter wasn't cool for a second. And I was actually super hesitant <laughs> yeah. to launch one. Um, but I was talked into it and I'm so glad that I was because it was literally the only way out. And um, it mm-hmm. obviously ended very well with $150,000 raised. So kind of yeah, insane. Bananas. <laughs> yeah. So you've, you're going to buy back your master's. But, I've you know, a lot of artists, I'm sure we both know artists who instead of buying back their masters re-recorded the material yeah that was went into the decision to buy that was an easy decision honestly because i was so attached am so attached to what we captured most things that we recorded uh it was the first take it was that kind of magical like we didn't rehearse the song we just Mm. all listened to it we agreed on a tempo. We kind of talked about how we wanted it to, to feel. And then, I mean, these musicians were just stunning. They were just, I just felt like we captured something really special that we couldn't recreate. I didn't even want to try to recreate. And to be honest, it would cost the same amount to recreate it. I still didn't have that kind of money. I didn't have 35 grand just to recreate mm. the record. Um, so it was like, let's right. just and and that right. would take so much more time we had already had it mixed already had it mastered like it was ready to go so um yeah just a yeah. lot of reasons um and either way i would have had to get out of my record deal before i was able to even re-record them because there's so many re-record clauses um so it was pretty much the only option so like was that negotiating process like pretty rough um, for me, it was, I, mm. uh, well, I'll put it this way. They were very nice and even offering that as an option. Definitely. Like most labels don't even offer you the option yeah. to buy back. So, um, that wasn't difficult. It was just the time that it took to get to that point was for me excruciating because I was dumb at the record in January and like ready to release it in March or April and to not even know what was going on for that long was, was, it was an emotional roller coaster for me. Um, yeah, but it all worked out and the record's still coming out later than I would have ever wanted it to. But now I get to do it on my own terms with a rollout plan that I'm super excited about and a team that I'm excited about and, some incredible Kickstarter backers that have made it possible and I feel more connected to them than ever. So, um, yeah, I bet it was quite a turnaround. Yeah. So you mentioned your team. So who is your team now? Yeah. So I have tone tree, uh, distributing the record and, um, what's cool is what I really wanted to do. And what I was talking to the label about doing when I was with them was this desire to not just 
put a record out, 12 songs, 11 songs, whatever, bam, it's it's literally gone in a week. There's no conversation left. It's just there. Yeah. And we don't live in a world where people just like listen to a whole record at once anymore. We need to like right. spoon feed it to them. Here's one song. Take that in for a while. Here's another yeah. single track. So I really wanted to do a couple singles, like like five or six singles. And so, and then put the record out. And um, so I'm working with Tone Tree and we've got a whole rollout plan for that that I'm stoked on. And um, yeah, I've got a publicist on board that's killing it and a creative team on board that's killing it. And it's just been fun. I still don't have the manager situation figured out yet, but, oh, and I have a booking agent that I've been with for like seven or eight years. That's been like the most constant teammate. Yeah. So I'm really lucky. That's amazing. But no manager. Yeah. Very interesting. So you have everybody except a manager. Yeah. You are manager. Yeah, I've been with – I am manager at the moment. Um, <laughs> That's great. You get to My fiancé is more. also a manager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my fiancé is a manager for a duo called The Young Fables. And so in this transition where I've needed someone to make the phone calls to the label for me that, like, they're just not listening to me, I can't get through yeah i've he's been my manager in the transition which has been really cool oh that's amazing yeah um but you like have you ever had a manager oh yeah many (laughs) Um, but i haven't had one for like three years okay it's been like three years taking a hiatus so um i think i just am waiting for the right fit like i got really spoiled and then i got a booking agent that is the perfect fit for me and is consistent and reliable and um, I'm just looking for that in a manager right. and not really willing to settle for just, like, someone to work it for an album cycle. I want someone who's in it for the long haul totally. and knows that. Yeah, so I've just been kind of waiting to find that perfect match. And so how in, how is, like, the workload in terms of before you are, were on a label, when you were on a label, and now when you're off a label? Well, you're in a transition right now, right? So you're not technically yeah, off I, the label yet. Exactly. Yeah. I'll be off the label in like one week. Literally <laughs> oh a week gosh. from today. Well, <laughs> yes. Hey. This podcast will not be out by then. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to tell the future. Yeah. <laughs> Talk in yes, future tense. <laughs> I am I am an indie artist officially. Um workload wise, I don't I can't honestly say that um well, that's it. That's a hard question. I think that now because I know that everything is on me and I have this great responsibility with 1,300 people counting on me to deliver this record to them, that's not a problem. The record's already done. But rolling it out now as I have envisioned is all on me and I can't – no one else has to carry the weight. Where before I could just – wait on the label what are you doing what are you doing and if it didn't work out I could blame them you know yeah, what I mean? totally and so I don't know if they were if I I can't figure out what I'm trying how I'm trying to say this um <laughs> yes there's more work now I'll just say that <laughs> but yeah that makes sense there's more work but you also get to control exactly that part the all the work in terms of how you do it and your vision does right does that make you nervous Absolutely. at all? That's I think that's what I was getting at is like that's a gift and that's what I wanted, but there's also great responsibility that comes with that. Yeah. And it makes me nervous because I do not like to fail and I don't like to make mistakes yeah. and um I know that I will continue to make mistakes, but um it's so it's like this weird mix of excitement and a little bit of like oh my god, I'm overwhelmed, you know. Yeah. Totally. Have you been, like, talking, like, I mean, obviously, some of the money that is that you got from the Kickstarter that is left over is going to go towards, like, financing, like, marketing and promoting yeah. the record, which must be nice to have, like, an actual budget. Budget. Yeah. Assuming Ooh. it might even pay for your next record. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking of trying to do is, like, investing is or... just put that aside and and save it for the next go round because if I'm indie now then that's that's the other thing is how do you make it sustainable right sure you know totally so yeah I think I think this will pay for the next record as well yeah exciting 
That's really cool. Yeah. I know that um, the guys that started Odd Future, um, the uh-huh. management company behind it, um, Christian Clancy, like one of their things is like when they get like nest eggs like that, they invest it in like real estate and like <laughs> they like diversify the portfolio. So like yeah. some of those artists like make all their money from their investment like label um, advance, you know, <laughs> like it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's 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 that's a very interesting point, and I think that kind of speaks to the state of the music industry that we have to do things like that. I have to be creative like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it's funny because when I hit a hundred thousand dollars, one of my best friends was like, "Okay, you have to buy a house. You know, you have to buy a <laughs> rental property." I'm like, "I can't do that with this money. I would not be able to sleep at night." But if if it does mean um, making it sustainable and it means, hey, this investment will lead to me being able to pay for future records, then perhaps that is a route I need to take. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could, Who knows? You could end up buying a house. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> Definitely buy a house before you buy a rental property. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I own a house now. Oh, she nice. was like, buy a rental property and then You own a house? We didn't it. even get there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to move to Nashville. <laughs> Yeah, I bought my first house, uh, I guess, almost three years ago. Oh, my God. Two years ago. Um, I can't remember what it was. It was Christmas time, and I had been searching because I had been in Nashville for so many years, and the Nashville market is, you know, in high demand, so it was like, you got to get in before it's too late. Yeah. Um, So I bought this four-bedroom house that was just so terribly done inside but it had good bones like I felt good about it (laughs) (laughs) and with that many bedrooms I knew that I could rent rent out rooms and be able to survive so um my brother lived with me for three months and we just redid it we it was like a cardboard brick wall was the fireplace it was so hideous (laughs) Um, a good lime green yeah real good bones (laughs) Lime green mural of a street in Paris all through the kitchen. Wow. Yeah, pretty intense stuff. Jeez. So, what street? Was it a good street? <laughs> I don't even know. We covered it up so fast. I was like, I can't look at that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but someone who buys this house from me someday will take off the reclaimed wood and be like, what is this glorious mural? I mean, I have actually wallpaper like that at my cabin. It's like avocado green and it has pilgrims with like horse and buggies oh going gosh. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. And matching floor upstairs. That's embarrassing. No. I swear, I'll send you a picture next time I'm there. It was super cool in 1938, okay? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I need to see Thank this. Thank my great grandma. <laughs> oh, I don't have enough pictures. I need I need physical <laughs> photographs. Don't worry, I'll get it for you. <laughs> Autograph copy of my floor. <laughs> um, so buying a house, that's a huge investment and commitment. Most people I know who are on the road all the time, they do the opposite, you know? Month to month, yeah. lease commitment or live with their parents. Um, just because they're just not home enough. So what, what was behind the decision to, um, to put down roots when you're gone all the time? Well, I know that there's, there's a couple of things that I thought made it a really good decision. One, how many years, um, I think I was, I was 29 and I was like, I want to at 30 years old, not be throwing money down the drain anymore. On rent, yep. I want to make an investment. <laughs> yeah, somebody's hope just died right yeah. next to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I had been mentally preparing for it and financially preparing for it for a couple of years and just trying to save, 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 and um, yeah, I just it just felt like the right thing to do because even though I am on tour a lot, it's really important for me to feel like I'm recharging when I'm home and I knew that I would feel just that much more settled in my life to come home to something that I knew was mine and I could decide hey I want the walls to be this color or I'm okay with the dog you Mm -hmm. know getting this place a little bit muddier than you know like I just 
I just knew it would feel more like home if I could if I could get my hands on something. So that's amazing. It was the right time. Yeah, and it was a great investment. And Nashville is still booming, and hopefully, it'll stay that way. Um, and I have two, three awesome roommates, and um, oh, and a dog. So it's it feels like home. Oh, you're a boss. You are a boss. Yeah. I'm inspired. I'm gonna go buy a house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even imagine. Like that's the. So I was talking. I was just there a couple. I guess a week ago, oh. and I was talking to somebody about what it takes to buy a house in LA. I'm like, I, I would not be a homeowner in LA because I could never afford that. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see, the Nashville market is so different from LA. Yeah, I can't even imagine. My friend in Nashville yeah. has told me all these stories about how little she pays for life and I get jealous. Oh yeah. 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 No wonder you're impressed with me buying a house. You're probably thinking of the LA market. You're not thinking of the <laughs> no, national I market. Like, I mean, did you do it by yourself? <laughs> yes, I, I did. I feel like just like the whole ideology behind that, like what Kat was saying, like is is impressive enough on top of all these other things you're doing. You're like building a music career, which is definitely the easiest thing ever. And, and then you, so uh, you bought a house. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, from the outside, it would seem like you've kind of been able to have it all in the way that other people feel like they have to choose. Like you're either yeah. on the road all the time yeah. or you're putting down roots, maybe like settling down for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you're doing both, mm-hmm. which is really rare in terms of people I meet. Or that we need. Hmm. And you seem really grounded. That's well thank that you. Must be amazing. To be it's <laughs> it's all those trees in Nashville. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those parks. It's a lot of Reiki. I do a lot of Reiki to get grounded. Oh, cool. Oh. That's awesome. <laughs> Are you Reiki yeah, certified? I, use, I am, yeah. It actually really helps me to get back in my body, especially when I'm traveling and I just feel like I'm a little bit not grounded. I de- that definitely happens. You any I I started getting Reiki a couple of years ago, and every time they worked on me, they'd be like, "Okay, well, you're not grounded." Whoa! <laughs> like literally grounded energetically. So, um, it's a practice now. Wow, that's amazing. And do you um I don't know the right word for this, but do you like teach? No, not teach. Do you like? I've never had Reiki. Do I- like, do you perform? Oh, oh, do I do I perform Reiki <laughs> yeah. on people? Do you um, play Reiki shows? Do you play Reiki shows? <laughs> do I perform Reiki? Sorry, I didn't know the right word. <laughs> um, so it started as, like, getting treated and then, like, knowing that I needed, like, I would be on the road and miss that feeling of, like, feeling, feeling that groundedness, yeah. that centeredness. And so I just remember laying on the floor at a show in Chicago before I went on and trying trying to do it on myself. I just closed my eyes and laid there and was like, okay, just try to feel the energy vibrate through your body from your head to your toes. And I was able to get to a place that felt like I had done it. And I had like one of the best shows ever. I felt so calm and just present and my voice felt relaxed. And so I thought, wow, there's something to this. So then I went on the, the road with my friends at of the, the band Delta Ray. And after a show one night, I was like, hey, can I try Reiki on you? I don't know what I'm doing. I just <laughs> have recently tried it on myself. And they were so nice to let me try it on them. And it was such a cool experience to the point where I was like, okay, I need to get certified in this because this is not cool to just be like, playing with people's energy <laughs> totally. unless I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I turned Brittany into a witch or something. Um, so, so I got certified and yeah, but I don't do it that often. I'll do it on like friends or my fiance or my brother or my parents, but that's about it. Yeah. I would, I would definitely experiment on my brother. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so cool. That's like, that must be, like when you're touring are you you're mostly by yourself as you said earlier but like yeah so that that's like your outlet while you're alone for sure or I don't even know if it feels like an outlet but it feels like you know you expend so much energy especially I'm an introvert with an extrovert's job Uh so I have to like find ways to recharge on my own and that that does it for me pretty quickly. That's really amazing. 
So how do you cut up those long drives on tour by yourself? Well, it all comes down to routing, and my booking agent is really good about making sure I don't drive, like, over four hours a day on a show day. So, oh, nice. Yeah, but, like, I'm used to doing the 14 hours, you know, to start off the tour, and then, you know, three hours, six hours, three hours per day. Um, so I just – I guess you're asking, like, what do I do on my long yeah. drives? But I usually just <laughs> – sorry. I'm like, and this is how I'm, like, thinking logistically. No, that's cool. That's my tour brain. I find that completely compelling. Um, because I think about tour routes like most of my day. So that's a yeah, it's like a me. puzzle. Yeah, it's like a puzzle when you're building your tour. It's kind of fun. Um, but I listen to podcasts and I hey. actually listen to podcasts more than I listen to music. Mm. Yeah, no, it's not weird. Sounds Normal. pretty bad. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> sounds perfect. Sounds ideal. I think like as a musician, it helps you write more music if you're not feeding yourself with music all the time like it creates a need for it yes um and plus i'm doing it every night so i'm like i don't want to listen to music right now i want to like listen to really embarrassing podcasts so it's okay i I mean we all do yeah that's the point of podcasts (laughs) yes yeah you might not know this but right now we are in our pjs yes oh i thought you were gonna say you might not know this but right now we are in a podcast You beat me to it. <laughs> Amazing. So one of the things we do with our guests on the show, which is really fun, is we like to ask, what is your favorite rejection? And- yeah, like to explain that a little bit. So it started from Submit Hub, <laughs> which from what? I don't know Submit if you've Hub? ever used Submit Hub, but it, I don't know. It's, um, it's a forum from Indie Shuffle. And you submit to blogs on there. And it used to be free. You could just, like, submit to as many of these blogs as were taking submissions. And then they would write feedback. And, like, a lot of indie artists use it because it's, like, pretty high-profile blogs are on it. Um, But since then, they've turned off the feedback, which is pretty sad (laughs) because... There were, like, really amazing rejections, you know? Like, I just, like, don't like the sound of this. <laughs> or, like, just, like... Oh, my God. It, like, felt, like, really thick skin, but also, like, a way... Like, a little humbling thing, because, you know, you work so hard on this record, and you're like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. And then you <laughs> get this, like, really, like, gut-wrenching feedback. Or weirdly... Oh, no. Like, not in context. Like... Could this sound more lively? Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> what does this even mean? But oh no. But really, I mean, you had to. You've definitely received like rejections at some point. Yes. So like, you know, do you laugh at those? Like, how how have like those impacted <laughs> you? And do you have like a favorite? Like that moment you look back at and you're like, oh god, I can't believe oh. T Bone Burnett snuffed me again. <laughs> I wish. I wish he even knew who I was. Um, no, there was this time. This was so long ago, but it sticks with me. Um, I must have been like, I was straight out of college. I don't know why. I was playing some like assembly at a school, and kids are so mean. <laughs> so somehow this kid took to Twitter and heard, heard that I was like coming to his school and he took to Twitter and was just saying like, why is this depressing singer songwriter coming? Like, we're all just going to want to die. Like, just like (laughs) all this stuff, like, like that, like I was going to actually like torture them by being in the same room as them. Like, it was just so sad. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm the most depressing person to be around. I'm so sorry. Cause I have, I have this really sad song that I wrote about my grandmother, and that's probably what he saw on YouTube. It was like, great, this is really gonna be fun. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry. I like, I like, am super empathetic to when someone is uncomfortable. Like, if I'm at a show and I think somebody looks like they're uncomfortable or they're sweaty or they don't like their chair or like they don't like the person they're with, I can't stop thinking about it like I'm like I'm so sorry there was this actually this last show that I played in this last tour there was a guy sitting up front and the lights were on enough that I could see 
their faces. And this guy was in the front row and wouldn't look at me. <laughs> wouldn't look at me. And I'm like, I must be really hard to look at today. And like three songs in, he just like comes up to the stage and fixes this cable that apparently I was about to trip on. And he literally couldn't look at me for the first half of the show because he thought I was going to fall. And then as soon as he fixed the cable, he could look at me. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that I made you so uncomfortable for that long. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah. So I hate when I make people sad. Too sad. Tears are good at shows, but you know, not if they're like, I hate myself. Thanks a lot, lady. (laughs) Oh man. That's amazing. I bet that guy is your biggest fan now. Like I don't know. <laughs> what a way though. Nice of him to fix the yeah. cable. That was nice of him. Very nice. Was solid I was move. like, wow, thank you so much. At least you didn't hate your set. It was just about the cable. Yeah, yeah true. I know. <laughs> then he looked at me. All was all was good. Do you get in your head in those moments? Like like Yes. Okay, good. Cause I have... I'm always thinking about like, well, if somebody looks uncomfortable, I'm thinking like, what could I do? better like I'm always trying to read the energy in a room so if people seem like they need like I'll change my set on a dime if I feel like there needs to be a breather or there needs to just be like a little bit more talking just take a break from a song or yeah it needs to not be so sad like I'll change songs depending on how the energy feels in the room or what people look like they're feeling that's really smart that's really smart yeah it's also that would be really risky for me. Yeah. I would be so like <laughs> I'd just be in my head. I'd be like, I'm doing a terrible oh, yeah. job. <laughs> well, I think there's like it's like the first couple songs I'm in my head just trying to like make sure everybody feels good. And then once I get into the swing of things, they seem to relax, then I relax more and it's kind of this little dance. Totally. I mean yeah. that's the difficulty with sad material, right? Like Yes. You kind of have to make peace with the fact that, like, people aren't going to be, like, they're not, like, in the audience Smiling. singing Don't Stop Believing." Like, you're just sad. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they have to sit with that. Um, you have to sit with that discomfort, and so do they. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, like, I, when I say, like, people seem uncomfortable, I don't mean, like, like if somebody's crying from something that I'm singing, yeah. then I, I feel like I'm doing my job. Because Damn. it's connecting. Liz Longley making people cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be this episode name. <laughs> I'm absolutely going to do this episode making people cry. Yeah. Oh my like gosh. I love it. <laughs> my, one of my friends, Caroline Spence, has a really great t-shirt that I wear all the time because I so relate. It says, happy person, sad, or sad songs, happy person. <laughs> That's amazing. Where do we get this shirt? So cute. <laughs> Does Caroline sell these shirts? Oh yeah, I think they're on our website. Shout out to let's Caroline. get let's sell some Caroline let's shirts. Do it. Well, thanks for coming on, Allie, Cat, and Steve. I'm Allie. I'm Cat, and I'm Steve. Yeah. <laughs>